Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for October 18th, 2017. We are halfway through the games going on right now. Just watched the end of the Celtics-Cavs game. Uh, obviously, there was the Gordon Hayward injury. That's going to be pretty significant for tomorrow's slate. And then otherwise, the early games really went our way in terms of the players we liked because well, part of it was, unfortunately, we benefited from the Hayward injury because that meant that Smart, Tatum, and... Jalen Brown, who Jalen Brown, I just think is going to be a really good player in the NBA, borderline all-star type player, and he put up a huge game. So we're going to like a lot of those same guys again tomorrow, but we'll just jump into these games. We still haven't totally decided on the format, but I think for now we're just going to still be talking about the DraftKings pricing, and I think we're just going to go game by game, and and then we'll just kind of play it by ear. We'll see if that works out, if other people have better suggestions, if somebody says like, hey, no, it would sound better if you did your podcast this way. And if you have a better idea than me, which is possible, message it to me and maybe we'll adapt to that. So the first game on the slate that we're going to be looking at, this is actually going to be one of my favorite games to stack and roster players. It's the Brooklyn Nets at the Indiana Pacers. The Nets were a combination of the fastest paced team in the NBA and I think the worst or second worst uh defensive efficiency rating them and the Lakers are going back and forth for most of last year so Matt what is the point spread in the over-under for this game I think we have some sharp action on the total in this game the point spread open at three and a half for the Pacers it's down to three now not sure if that's too big of an indicator but the total opened at 212 it's now up to 214 and when the total moves almost 24 hours before a game starts, that's usually a pretty good indication that it's sharp money because the average better just doesn't bet on an over-under that much before game time. So I think we are seeing a little bit of sharp action on the over, and that's good news for us because I think this is going to be a game that will heavily target. The Nets, yeah, they play at a ridiculous pace, and I guess what we'll have to figure out is the new pace with this new-look Pacers team because Paul George is off the roster now, so... Do you think the Pacers will be playing faster this year, or is it kind of just too hard to say at this point? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these teams, it's just going to be hard to say. Uh, I mean, I th- I think the Pacers were, they were 18th in pace last year, so it's actually really annoying to keep saying Pacers and pace in the same <laughs> second. So they, they were a very middle-of-the-road team in terms of pace last year, and they figured it'd probably be about the same, somewhere in the middle of the road. The Nets were the fastest-paced team in the NBA last year, so I think that this is just going to be a really strong game to target. From the Nets side of the game, the Nets are always a little difficult to figure out because the way they ran the rotation last year was just they ran a super deep bench and everybody played like 22 to 26 minutes, which kind of made them unusable in a lot of games. But I think the situation is going to change a little bit this year because they have D'Angelo Russell they brought in. I think Russell also huge breakout year. I think he's going to have a monster season. He's only at 6,600 which to me just seems way too cheap for him because last year there were points where he got over 7,000. He's going to have an even bigger role in the Nets than he had with the Lakers. So I I think he's my favorite play on the Nets. And then Rondé Hollis-Jefferson also down at 5,000. He averaged uh, 21.67 DraftKings fantasy points in 23 minutes per game. I think we're going to see him closer to that 27 to maybe even 30-minute range this year. And I also just think that he's somebody breakout candidate this year. I think he should have a much bigger year. Those are going to be the two guys who I'm targeting for the Nets tomorrow and probably the two guys who I'm going to be targeting for a lot of the year for the Nets because I think those are the two guys that we're going to see play significant minutes. And then from the Pacers side of the game, like you said, Matt, uh, Paul George is gone. So there's so much usage to fill in the Pacers offense now 
Jeff Teague is gone, and they brought in Victor Oladipo. I think that'll probably be about a fair trade-off in terms of usage. So Oladipo, I think, will slot into the to Jeff Teague's usage. And then there's just a ton of just extra usage left over. A lot of it's going to Miles Turner. I think he's going to have a monster year. A lot of people are going to look at the 7700 price tag for Turner and feel it's a little high. I think he's going to be somebody who's priced around the 9000 range by the end of next year. So Miles Turner, Victor Oladipo, those are my targets on the Pacers. Is there anything else you want to add for this game, Matt? The speed at which the Pacers play should be something to monitor. There are a couple guys here who are, I guess, notoriously bad defenders. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Thaddeus Young and Bojan Bogdanovic, when they were on the Nets at least, they were part of the worst defensive team in the NBA or close to it. And I think those guys are potentially decent fantasy performers, but they should increase point scoring on both sides of the court. I think they're guys that play fast and just don't really defend at all. Yeah, like they're not going to be a great defensive team this year. I don't think they're. Uh, they were one of the worst defensive teams last year, and it, I I don't see any reason to think they're going to be improved. I don't think they're going to be significantly worse, but they're still going to be bad. It's going to be a high paced game. It's a very stackable game. So the next game on the slate is the Charlotte Hornets at the Detroit Pistons. New look Hornets team here because they added Dwight Howard. Uh, Batum is hurt for a pretty decent chunk of the year. And then also Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is out for personal reasons. Uh, it's kind of been like a weird lengthy absence for Gilchrist. He missed the last three preseason games. They haven't really given a ton of reason for why he's away. So hopefully everything is okay with him. But since he uh, since Batum was out so far in advance, DraftKings has done a really good job kind of proactively pricing some of these guys. Like I assume that Jeremy Lamb was just going to be an easy lock-and-load play to open the season. But they've started with him at 5700 which is a really fair price. And then, Matt, what do you have for the over-under and total for this game? Or That's the same thing, the over-under and the spread. <laughs> um, well, the Pistons are three-point favorites, which I guess would not be even close to the case if the Hornets were at full strength. But this could be a decent spot for the Pistons because Michael Kidd-Gilchrist especially is an unbelievable wing defender. So it could create a lot of extra scoring chances for the Pistons. Um, I guess the issue is going to be they don't really have good wing scoring and they just aren't that good of a scoring team overall. Uh, the total for this game is 204, so doesn't figure to be a really high pace game. But the Pistons should be a little bit undervalued just because the Hornets are missing their best defensive player and then Nicholas Batum, a decent defender also. Um, so it should be a better spot than usual for the Pistons, even though for the most part, I think they're going to be a hard team to use for most of the year. Yeah, it's it's hard. It, this is just such a slow-paced game that it's really hard to like too much from either side of the game. We were talking a little bit before we started that Stanley Johnson makes some sense. He uh, was originally listed as questionable, but he's expected to play now. Andre Drummond always makes some sense as a GPP play. You could never roster him in cash games. He gets in foul trouble all the time, so he's he, you just there's too much variance in the amount of minutes he plays to be able to trust him in a cash game. But always a lot of upside for GPP, so you could throw him into a couple of those lineups. And then, like like we said, Stanley Johnson was questionable, uh, is expected to play now. He's only at 4,000, and he's expected to play a ton of minutes for them this year. So we're going to see Stanley Johnson 30-plus minute type game player. And then the point guard situation is always a mess for the Pistons. Reggie Jackson, Ish Smith, who knows how many minutes <laughs> each, of them, each of those guys are playing. Just last year we saw... It would be a Reggie Jackson game. It would be a Nish Smith game. Then they would each play literally 24 minutes right down the middle. It's just impossible to predict. So 
that's going to be a situation to avoid and not really a ton of interest in this game for me overall. Um, I know you said that there's some sharp action on the Pistons, Matt, but just for DFS for me, there's not really anything I love. Uh, is there anything that stood out to you a little bit more than that? No, I guess the the major takeaway is that the Hornets will probably have some underpriced guys getting more usage than usual with uh, Batum and Kid Gilchrist out, but because there's a little bit of sharp money on the Pistons, that has me off them a little, but also just because the pace of this game figures to be so low. The big takeaway is not using the Hornets. Uh, there'll be much better choices in other spots later on in the year. I'm just I'm just kind of peripherally watching the the Rockets are running some interesting offense with Chris Paul and James Harden right now, and this is a very sloppy game to start. But anyway, moving on to the next game without me getting too distracted, the Philadelphia 76ers at the Washington Wizards. So now the Sixers, I love Joel Embiid this year but he's expected to be limited to minutes in the teens. It's a huge disappointment. Uh, a quote from Joel Embiid, he believes his minutes restriction is fucking bullshit. Uh, he wants to play as many minutes as possible. He thinks that he's able to play the whole game. But it's understandable for the Sixers to be very cautious with him in the early going. So it, it's probably the wise move for them, especially to start the season and then let him build up a little bit, stamina and strength. Obviously, he had knee surgery in the offseason wasn't with the team for a lot of the preseason, so just playing it safe with them. I still think the Sixers team is going to be a playoff team. So with that said, Matt, uh, I guess we're expecting some sharp action on the Wizards in this game with the minutes restriction on Embiid. Yeah, I think the Sixers probably will be a little bit overvalued all year long because they're going to be a really fun team to root for. People love Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, some up-and-coming potential superstars. I guess you could argue Embiid's already one of them. Uh, but with Embiid playing such limited minutes, it'll be a lot easier for the Wizards on both ends of the court. Uh, Embiid's really good offensively, obviously, really good defensively. So the Wizards should do better in this game maybe than it looks on paper based on just the rosters of these two teams because the minutes for Embiid will give the Wizards more opportunities to score points and then they should just have an easier time defending because Embiid is probably the Sixers' best offensive player. So the line has moved from minus 6.5 to minus 7. And that's with the public mostly on the Philly side. It's it's early, so it's hard to tell if the public actually will remain on the Philly side. But my guess is that they will, just because this is going to be a team that people are looking to watch this year. The totals for their games were high the last couple of years. The total for this game is high, too. It's at 215.5. So it does look like Philly's a little bit overvalued with Embiid not on a full workload. Yeah, and that's also a boost to some of those Wizards offensive players. From the Philly side of the game, Jared Bayless is starting a point guard. He's only 3,800. I think he's a decent value play. Markel Fultz is coming off the bench. So Fultz obviously was the top overall pick in the draft. He looked awful in preseason. His jump shot is broken right now. Out of nowhere one game, he just came out with a different shooting form. He was just like, yeah, I'm just trying different stuff. I'm going to shoot the ball differently now. So that's a huge red flag to me when somebody struggles to shoot the ball. In uh, From the free throw line in college, he was not a good free throw shooter. He was in the low 60%, and then just halfway through his first NBA preseason, he decided he's going to totally overhaul his shooting form. Uh, that's a big red flag on his shooting ability coming into the NBA. So definitely for the early part of the year with him at 6,100, he's going to be somebody to avoid. Have to avoid Joel Embiid on the 18 minutes restriction. He's just never going to hit value at 7,300 playing so few minutes. Robert Covington is priced all the way down at 5,000. So I think that's too cheap for him. Just a reference point, he's 6400 on FanDuel. So when you see that big of a price discrepancy between the two sites, that just screams value to me. So 
I like Covington. I like Bayless. And then from the Wizards side of the game, I don't really see anybody as like ridiculous value type plays. But I still think that there is some guys to target here. Just in terms of like John Wall, 9,800, that's usable. Bradley Beal at 7,000, that's usable. But still just kind of fairish prices. Same with Otto Porter at 5,700. So I think usable guys, but nothing that I think you need high exposure to or anything that's like a crazy good value relative to price. It's just that there is a little bit more value on some of those Wizards. I wouldn't say value. Just those guys are better plays than meets the eye just because of of Embiid being out, and he's the best defensive player on the Sixers. Actually, last year, for reference, the Sixers were a top-five defense with Embiid on the floor and a bottom-five defense with him off the floor. So that kind of just tells you the value that Embiid has. Uh, but still, just kind of fair-priced on those Wizards guys because of how expensive they are. Anything else to add for that one, Matt? Well, do you think Markel Fultz has a chance to be a decent defender? Because even if he does, it's just really hard for rookies to be good defensive players right off the bat. So I think John Wall's in a really strong spot. Do you think that's an advantage that he, that's a matchup he could take advantage well, of to a large think, degree? I don't, think Fultz, I don't think Fultz is going to play a lot. Okay. So that probably won't have an impact on Wall too much. No, like uh, Jared Bayless is starting a point guard. He's only 3,800. Uh, Fultz it is just, he's struggling with his jump shot right now. And even all through the preseason, they were starting Bayless at point guard, so I don't think the plan was ever to use Fultz as a starting point guard to begin the year. I really think they're going to ease him into it. They're going to let him grow into the role and get him some experience as opposed to just throwing him out against starters and him just getting destroyed right away. So I think they're going to be a little cautious with him. I think we're going to see him more in like the mid-20s range minutes to start the season. So maybe as the year goes on, where he becomes less expensive and maybe grows into a bigger workload, he'll make more sense. But for now, it's pretty easy to stay away from him. And I think Bayless is a fine value at 3,800. He uh, he could space the floor. He's a pretty good shooter. So I think there's some I think there's some value in him. The next game on the slate, the Miami Heat, who are actually one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference the second half of the season, playing the. Orlando Magic, so Florida-Florida game. Uh, both these teams played a pretty slow pace last year. What is the spread and the over-under for this, Matt? Well, I think the biggest indication that this is a stay-away game is the fact that this is the game with the lowest betting volume by a lot, and also the total has dropped from 207 all the way down to 205 already, and the Heat are three-point three point favorites on the road, so it looks like uh, just it's a low-scoring potential game, and... Probably not a lot to like from either side. Yeah, so here's uh, here's something that I'm looking at from this game also. is It is really difficult to figure out what the Miami Heat are, are going to be doing with their rotation. They have so many quality guards on their team. Uh, Rodney Magruder got injured, so he's out for three months or so. So that makes it a, a little bit easier to figure out their rotation, but still not really. Like They have a ton of guys who we could see play minutes. Wayne Ellington, Tyler Johnson, Justice Winslow, Josh Richardson, Dion Waiters, Goran Dragic. These are all guys who are, I think, at least solid wing players in the NBA. And none of them have really cheap price tags. Josh Richardson at 4900 I think, makes the most sense as a play. But even so, like this is just kind of a stay-away game for me on the whole. From the Orlando Magic side of the game, still same thing. Vucevic is really expensive. Peyton's really expensive. Aaron Gordon's way up in price. One thing to keep an eye on is Terrence Ross is questionable to play 
with a hamstring injury. So if he isn't able to go, Jonathan Simmons at only 4,300 would step into the starting lineup. And then I think there would be some value on Fournier and Jonathan Simmons. But as it stands, not a lot of interest in this game. And then obviously some of the uh, money action would indicate that as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What was that? Oh, yeah, just agreement. Go on. Next game. Go on. All right, here we go. This is going to be the game with the most value from the DFS standpoint. Milwaukee Bucks at the Boston Celtics. Obviously, the Gordon Hayward injury five minutes into the season breaks his ankle, leg turns in the wrong direction. It looks like he's going to be out for the whole year. Uh, It's a broken tibia, fractured ankle, dislocated ankle. It just sucks. It was a really shitty situation. But there's going to be a ton of value on the Celtics for this game. I would be curious, is there a lineup for this game, Matt, and has it moved at all with the Hayward injury? Yeah, the line opened at minus six for Boston before the Boston-Cleveland game started tonight. And the line has dropped from six down to five, which might not seem like enough, but generally the lines just don't move a lot for second-tier superstars. And I guess that's probably what you could call Hayward. He's probably a borderline all-star, and that generally just moves the line one to two points. So... On the betting line, it might seem like the Celtics are being overvalued, but there's so much depth on this team that it may not matter. And I guess there's it's just a good enough team that they can probably overcome it. So there might also be some public bias towards the Bucs with this being a back-to-back for Boston, but they are playing the second game at home, so the back-to-back really isn't much of a big deal. It's also early in the season, so I don't think fatigue is that big of an issue either. Um, but like you said, this is an interesting game because there's a lot more... There are a lot more shots to go around for Boston. There's going to be a lot more minutes to go around. So a lot of the guys that we liked for opening night probably will be good value plays in this matchup too uh, because Hayward definitely will not be playing after that really gruesome injury. Yeah, well, yeah, that's an understatement that Hayward, Hayward probably... I'll, I'll say that Hayward, I would be surprised if he plays the rest of the season. Definitely not playing tomorrow night. Uh, from the Milwaukee side of the game, Giannis is probably my favorite player to pay up for on the entire slate. Giannis, I think... As much as he improved last year, I think he improves even more this year. I think he's going to be in the MVP discussion and probably even one of the favorites to win the MVP by the end of the year. So him at 10,300, lots of positional eligibility for him with point guard, small forward designation on DraftKings. So you could play him at those spots. You could play him at guard. You could play him at forward. You could even play him in the utility spot, which, uh, well, anybody can. So that's not really all that special. Hmm. So Chris Middleton also priced in the mid-6,000s. I think he's a fine play. This is just a really stackable game to go Giannis and Middleton. And then you could use like anybody from Boston. Everybody on Boston is still reasonably priced. And even Kyrie Irving's the most expensive player at 8,500. The Bucks are one of the best teams in the NBA at defending point guards last year. And I don't care. Kyrie's going to have so much usage in the offense now. So he's a fine play. Horford's a fine play. Smart, Tatum, Brown. But I'm going to have so much exposure to the Celtics tomorrow, and this is just the best game to stack on the slate. It's just whenever you have an injury of that significance and the pricing isn't able to adjust for it yet, there's it's just a lot of value. This is the most obvious spot on the slate. Jalen Brown had a monster game tonight. He looked great. Jason Tatum had a double-double. He wasn't terrific or anything, but, I mean, still, he's priced all the way down at 4100 and he's going to be playing 30-plus minutes. Same Jalen Brown at 3900 that, that's just the easiest lock on the slate. Uh, do you have anything else to add to this, Matt, or just you would agree that's all pretty obvious? Yeah, that's pretty obvious, but to add one thing, the total in this game has dropped two points since the Hayward injury, and I think this kind of corresponds to a public bias that happens when a key player is out. 
there's just an assumption that less offense will happen. But that's not really the case if the player that's going to be out either plays in a slow pace. I guess that's probably not true of Hayward. But if the player's a really good defender, there actually could be more offense if a really good player isn't playing. So I don't know. It's weird that the total in this game's dropping, but I would think that this game actually figures to have more point scoring without Hayward's defense. So it's a it's a boost for Giannis and obviously a boost for the Celtics guys that will be playing more minutes and having the ball in their hands more often. Yeah, I think I think uh, something that people really don't realize about Gordon Hayward and the reason actually I thought coming into the season, which a lot of people disagree with this, is I thought that Gordon Hayward was the best player on the Celtics. I didn't think it was Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving's the better offensive player, but Hayward's still a very good offensive player. But there's just a huge difference in their defensive abilities. Gordon Hayward is one of the better perimeter defenders in the NBA. Kyrie Irving is a massive negative on the defensive end. So I would agree with you that Hayward being out, I would think that more favors the over in this game happening versus the under. Because as good as Hayward is on offense, there's still a ton of other offense in that Boston off in that Boston team. And there just aren't a lot of quality defensive players. So I think that's it's just a really strong spot to target. The next game on the slate, there's uh, kind of an interesting point that Josh Lloyd pointed out on Twitter the other day. It is the New Orleans Pelicans at the uh, Memphis Grizzlies game. The Grizzlies were one of the slowest-paced teams in the NBA last year, and they played at the seventh-fastest pace in the preseason this year. I don't know if that's just a fluke because it's only a few games, and it's not necessarily the starters. Like I generally tend to think that doesn't mean a whole lot in the preseason. But the idea that a team goes from being one of the slowest-paced teams to being one of the fastest-paced teams in the preseason, I think that could mean a little bit of something. At the very least, I would say that I I would expect them to be fast a faster-paced team than I expect them to be a slower-paced team. So I, I'm not going to look at this game and say, like, oh, lock and load on Hornets, I mean on Pelicans and Grizzlies. But, but still, I think that the 204 and a half over under for this game which i'm assuming that's what it still is that might be a little yep. too low is there any sharp action on that matt no there there aren't a lot of bets on this game yet so it's hard to see if there's any sharp action the total and the spread just haven't really moved but do you think that the increase in pace could just be a matter of zach randolph not being on the grizzlies anymore uh he missed a lot of time last year and he also like he, he's played off the bench and only been playing mid 20 minutes the last couple of games i'm not saying it's impossible especially because he's such a half-court player and a lot of the offense when he's on the court is dependent on just give the ball in the post to Randolph and let him work on somebody and it's just painfully slow and not fun to watch basketball at all. So maybe that is a minimal impact. I don't think that's the only reason. It's it's hard to say. Uh, I, I'll, I think that it is possible we see the Grizzlies as a slightly faster-paced team this year. And from the Pelican side of the game, we have Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, Drew Holiday. This team was a mess the second half of last year. Obviously, Rondo's out with the injury. I, I really don't love this side of the game. Anthony Davis always makes some sense to me as a GPP play. You can never play him in cash games. He leaves way too many games early. But with that said, he's also already coming into the game with an injury designation. He was sick today at practice, so he's expected to play tomorrow, but... The idea of playing Anthony Davis when he's already coming into a game sick and just that how much of a mess this team was towards the end of last year, I think this is pretty much a stay away. Maybe Anthony Davis a little bit GPP, but not really a ton of interest. And then from the Memphis side of the game, 
kind of a lot of the same feelings where it's just a lot of accurately priced guys. Uh, Marcus Sola is priced pretty well. Mike Conley's priced pretty well. So I, I, not a lot of interest in this game. I don't really think there's a lot to see. Even if the, the game is expected to be a little bit faster paced, Conley's at 7,700, Marcus Sola's at 7,800. Is there anything else that you see, Matt? No, I think that just about covers it. All right. Next game on the slate, the Atlanta Hawks at the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks were my least favorite team to watch, probably of any team other than the Knicks last year. The The Mavericks played at a painfully slow pace. They they were one of the most difficult teams matchup-wise for DFS purposes last year, despite being just a dogshit defensive team because of how slow pace they played. The Hawks are going to be bad this year. Dennis Schroeder is their best player by far. Their second best player is probably Torian Prince. Uh, I think Dwayne Dedman at 4,500 makes a little bit of sense as a cheap play. But still, like it, it, by and large, this is just going to be a stay-away game for me. Uh, Matt, what's the total in the overrun? What's the total for this game? Because I think that kind of tells the whole story. It's significantly lower than the other ones. Yeah, it opened at 199.5, and, and it's actually been bet it's been bet down to 197.5. So we could be looking at some sharp money on the under. The spread was 6.5 for Dallas. It's now only 6. So we could be looking at some sharp action for Atlanta. And I think that those things kind of just go together because a lower scoring game tends to be closer. There's just less points for one of the teams to run away with the game. So these are just really bad indicators for Dallas's scoring potential. And I think it's a pretty good idea to just not use this game at all. Yeah, I'm... Uh... I'm, I probably won't be rostering anybody from there. Like I, I don't know how many lineups I'd have to make before I click on anybody from there, but it's it's not a good spot. Next game, and this is another one that I just love to avoid people. A game in Utah, so Denver automatically. I love Jokic. I love a lot of the guys on Denver. Gary Harris signed a big extension. I think he's going to be a great player in the league for a while. But with that said, playing in Utah just makes them a stay away. What is the point spread and the total for this game, Matt? The Jazz are minus two, and this game has seen the most line movement on the total. So it opened at 209. It's now down to 206 and trending to 205 and a half. And I guess it kind of makes sense because the Jazz are a really good defensive team. But how do you think the new roster will change the defensive makeup of of this team? Because they have Ricky Rubio and they don't have Gordon Hayward. So should it still be a really, really elite defensive team? Or is it a little bit different this year with the new roster construction? Yeah, this is going to be just as good a defensive team this year. Uh, Ricky Rubio, I think he'll be a solid defender there. And as good of a defender as Hayward is, was, has been, will be, hopefully when he comes back from the broken ankle next year, they've Rudy Gobert. Gobert is, in my opinion, the most impactful defensive player in the NBA. Uh, Draymond Green, pretty close, but Gobert is really like, he's a one-man defense. He stops teams, and I think his matchup against... Nikola Jokic for tomorrow is so strong in favor of Gobert. Like, I love Jokic, except he's not a good defensive player. I think Gobert is just going to eat him alive tomorrow. Uh, I think Rudy Gobert, Ricky Rubio, I think is going to be a really strong correlation this year because I just think that there's going to be a lot of pick and roll Rubio to Gobert, a lot of easy buckets for Gobert. Rubio is an awesome passer. I think he's going to do really well in that half court system. I think a lot of people are concerned about Rubio's numbers this year because of how slow paced the Utah Jazz are. But with that said, the Utah was the slowest-paced team in the NBA last year, and Minnesota was tied for 22nd in pace last year. 
So it's it's not like he's going from a fast-paced situation to a slow-paced situation. He's going from a slow-paced situation to still a slow-paced situation. So I don't think Ricky Rubio's numbers are going to be like ridiculously impacted by the pace change. So I'm, I'm fine with Rubio. I think he has another big year, and that's where I really like the target. I think there's going to be a really good correlation between Rubio and Gobert this year. They make a lot of sense to GPP combination together. Was Rubio a good defender last year? Because I didn't follow him that closely in the most recent season, but throughout Rubio's career, I found him to be a really underrated defensive player. For whatever reason, his reputation is just that he doesn't play defense well. I guess he just, the eye test doesn't, he doesn't pass it for some reason on the defensive end, but because he's such a tall player for a point guard and has so much length, he's able to play off his man a lot and contest shots, even though he's not that quick on his feet. So I don't know, do do the stats still align with that that kind of thinking? Well, last year was kind of a down defensive year for him, but I think a lot of it was system-oriented. The Timberwolves were one of just the worst starting units in the league for the first like half of the year or so. Uh, I like Zach Levine as a player, but the Timberwolves did get a lot better after he got hurt, and I don't think it's because Levine is not a quality player because he doesn't have value. I just think it's because there was so much overlap in abilities, and Levine's still a negative defensive player, even though he's a plus offensive player. Uh, so as a net, he's a positive, but I think that sometimes it was just addition by subtraction. So getting rid of him meant that uh, Rubio was using the, was touching the ball more in the offense in Minnesota, and overall it made them better, him not being there. Um, that doesn't really directly answer your question, other than just they were really mm-hmm. bad on defense the first half of the year, and Rubio's numbers reflected that. And then the second half of the year, he was much better in terms of uh, defensive real plus minus, and in terms of on-off-court defensive stats, he was a plus player. And I, I think that's how I would expect it to be this year. And I, I think that he will be able to at least make up some of the gap of Gordon Hayward uh, being lost on defense. Rubio, really long defender. He's good in the passing lanes, deflects a lot of passes. And still, it, they're going to be an elite defensive team. I think probably the best defensive team in the NBA this year. All right, fair enough. That's uh, yeah. I think you adequately covered Rubio's defense. That was a lot of a lot of information for sure. So the next game on the slate, another big injury here is uh, it's the Minnesota game at San Antonio Spurs. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard that quad injury. I really don't know when Kawhi is going to be back. Uh, it doesn't seem to be an overly serious injury. It's just uh, considered to be a contusion, uh, which I guess is like a bruise or whatever. I don't know. I've said this before during the baseball podcast. I'm not a doctor. With that said, I did see the Gordon Hayward injury and said, that's not right. There's something wrong with his leg. So I have a little bit of medical expertise. But <laughs> in terms of when Kawhi Leonard is going to be back, like at the start of the preseason, the first game, they said Kawhi Leonard out for the entire preseason. It was like okay, that that's that's weird. Uh, no real other information, just a like a bruise. And then opening night came around. Popovich said, "Yeah, we don't really expect Kawhi to play opening night, so we don't know when he's going to be back. He's not playing tonight, uh, tomorrow night though." And the Spurs have already been priced for that injury. And then obviously, totally new look from Minnesota with Jimmy Butler coming in, Jeff Teague coming in. So they're going to be a really good team this year. The usage is going to be really, really difficult to figure out. I know there's a little bit of sharp action here, so what do you have from us from the Vegas side, Matt? Yeah, it does look like there's sharp money on Minnesota. I guess it's going to be hard to figure out which players to use on the Timberwolves, but Kawhi Leonard is at least in the conversation for best player in the NBA, so him not playing, I guess, even though it's been known that he wasn't going to play, 
the line still didn't seem to have accounted for it enough. So the Spurs opened at minus three. The line's now down to only one and a half. The totals dropped a little bit too. So the sharper betters still seem to like Minnesota, even though we already knew that Kawhi Leonard wouldn't be playing. Yeah, and then obviously DraftKings has adjusted for it already. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge last year had a huge usage rating with Kawhi off the floor, but he's been priced all the way up to 7300 I think he makes some sense, but that's still it's, it's a fairly just accurate price tag for him. Pau Gasol, 5800 that's probably a stay away for me. Kyle Anderson, 4700 that's just a fair price. Rudy Gay, 5500 Maybe later in the season, if Kawhi Leonard's out, we could uh, – reasonably roster Rudy Gay. The issue is Rudy Gay missed most of last year with a torn Achilles tendon. There's not a great track record for guys coming back from the Achilles. Like, there's nobody who's come back from the Achilles and been the same player they were prior to the injury. There's guys like Wes Matthews had a really good recovery, and he was maybe like 80% of what he was prior to the injury. But he was also a player who was really just a catch-and-shoot type guy. Not a lot of his game is built on athleticism. Rudy Gay is a very much built-on athleticism type player. So him coming back from the Achilles all the way to 5,500, it's hard to see him playing 30-plus minutes that he probably required to hit value. So he's an easy enough stay away. And then from the Minnesota side of the game, I know you brought him up before the podcast, and I'd be interested in what you think of him now, Matt, because I, I do think there's a little bit of sense to him. Is Andrew Wiggins pressed all the way down at 6,000. Just the real issue I have with the Minnesota team is – I have no clue what their usage is what their usage is going to look like. Adding Jimmy Butler to that team with already Towns there, they added Teague, and they still have Wiggins there, obviously. I don't know what the minutes are going to look like between Taj Gibson and Gorgie Jang. I will assume neither one of them plays a ton. So I, I just don't know what the offense is going to look like. The Spurs, even without Kawhi Leonard, are going to be a plus defensive team. And just with the uncertainty in usage, I, I think Minnesota kind of is a team to stay away from, but... Andrew Wiggins at 6,000, there is some upside there. Do you still have interest in him, Matt, because you brought him up before? Yeah, I guess Wiggins is young enough that we should still expect some improvement, right? I mean, I know he hasn't been a good player really at all in the NBA, but uh, I'll go a little bit based on the 538 projections, which we've been highly critical of at times. Because they're they're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they do have, I mean, they're stupid in some respects. I think that they're mostly just stupid in evaluating Cleveland and that maybe maybe they're they're they have validity in and every other regard except for some reason there's this weird Cavaliers bias. But anyway, Minnesota's projected fifth in the NBA uh, just in terms of record and playoff odds, and I would think part of that has to do with some weighting towards positive aging curve on Andrew Wiggins, where he should just do better because he's getting closer to his prime and he was such a high draft pick and such a talented player. So I don't know, maybe he'll have a breakout year. I'm not really predicting that he'll be anything close to a great player this year, but he should be better at least, right? Just because he can only really go up from where he was. Maybe. Uh, I mean, I guess I know, he could go down. I, I know that I, I know that that's not like a great answer, except I'm still concerned. Like, what is his role going to be in the offense? How many touches is he going to get? He's a very one-dimensional player. He hasn't really done much in his career other than scoring. The one thing is this: he's still an exceptionally athletic player. And I do wonder now that they've added Jimmy Butler, they've added Jeff Teague, there's going to be less. Uh, there's just going to be less looks for Wiggins in the offense. And is that going to help him develop the other parts of his game? Like, is it going to be easier for Wiggins to be a better defensive player now that he has less role on offense? Is he going to be a better rebounder? Is he going to pick up more steals and blocks? Like, there was times last year where it looked like he was giving very little effort on defense, and he'd be very 
just not involved. Like somebody who's athletic as him should just be a better rebounder. Like there aren't, there isn't some elite rebounding type ability. There are guys who are very good rebounders, but generally if somebody could jump very high and they're very athletic, they're fast, they're big, they're tall. I don't, I don't understand why you just wouldn't be able to rebound the ball. So I, I do think that maybe the acquisition of some of these other talented players will help Wiggins be better in other facets of the game. It's like for him to average four rebounds a game last year just seems totally ridiculous to me. So I think he has some upside at 6,000. But I, I, I don't really think I'm going to roster too many of the Minnesota players tomorrow. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't roster any of them for cash, but I think kind of scattering them around GPP lineups could be viable just because there's a lot of upside for the team as a whole and maybe the scoring doesn't end up being balanced. Maybe one guy ends up taking over the game, and if you happen to pick the right guy, then there could be a ton of GBP upside there. So I would definitely not call any of their players safe, but just because the of the improved matchup against the Kawhi Leonard-less Spurs, I think that there is just some potential upside for a few different guys. So maybe I'll use one Wolves guy in a few different lineups, but it's not a stack spot, I don't think, and it's not a cash spot either. So the next game on the slate, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of, of stuff going on in this one too. The Portland Trailblazers at the Phoenix Suns, and so for this game, CJ McCollum one game suspension for leaving the bench during an altercation. Uh, everybody on Portland seems to already be priced for that. And then on the Phoenix side of the game, Alex Len uh, with a foot injury was a late addition to the injury report today. He was unable to practice. So with that information, has there been any sharp movement in this game, Matt? There hasn't yet, but there's a big public bias in the game. Um, the Blazers are, they've actually moved up from minus one to minus one and a half, but the public is very heavy, heavy Portland. With it being the last game of the night, this is one of the lower volume bet games. We're, we've seen a lot more bets on the East Coast games, at least initially. So kind of hard to say, but I would imagine just because of the reputation on the Suns and how bad they figure to be that they'll be a little bit undervalued and probably their DFS players will be undervalued because this game does have the highest total of the night at 220. Yeah, so here's here's part of the issue I have with uh, Portland is just that how accurately everybody's been priced for McCollum being out. Like, when I saw McCollum was getting suspended, this was another one where I thought, Lillard, ton of value uh, opening night, and he's 10400 He's just, they priced him way up. It's just a pretty fair price for him. I think he's going to be usable in game stacks of this game because of how high scoring it's expected to be. But there just isn't a lot of value on the Portland side of the game. Evan Turner's starting. He's been priced up. Uh, Aminu and Harkless, they're expected to get more action. I, I think that they're pretty fairly priced. From the Phoenix side of the game, though, it's like you said. This is supposed to be a really high-scoring game. It's supposed to be competitive. And there's really nobody expensive on Phoenix. Like uh, Eric Bledsoe is 7,600. Then we've got Booker at 7,000. I think both of them are fine GPP plays. I really like Marquise Chris at 5,100 as a GPP play, particularly if Alex Len isn't going to be able to play because then I think we're going to be seeing a lot more minutes at center for Marquise Chris. And then also Tyson Chandler, 4,200. If he starts at center with Alex Len out, which I, I think probably is likely to happen, he could end up seeing a decent amount of minutes. He's only 4,200. Uh, Alan Williams was supposed to be the backup center. He's out for almost the entire season. He just had knee surgery. So there's just not a lot of depth in the front court for Phoenix. So there's a lot of value that could open up if Alex Len is out. We just have to pay attention to who's going to be starting 
in their place and then also kind of like what the beat reporters say what the rotation is going to look like all right fair enough yeah i think that that covers it for that game so the last game on the slate this is another one that's expected to be really high scoring houston rockets at the sacramento kings obviously the rockets are on the second end of a back-to-back and it's also a road back-to-back so that's usually a negative situation has any of the sharp money uh, bear that out, Matt? Yeah, the line opened at minus nine for the Rockets. It's down to eight. I do think that this is some sharp action on Sacramento. It's kind of just the typical anti-public spot where you have one team that's supposed to be way better than the other team, and I have no doubt the Rockets will be a lot better than the Kings this year. But it is the second night of a back-to-back, both games on the road. The Rockets are coming off of what seems like will be a difficult game with the Warriors. I don't know how much this matters statistically, but if you're playing a two-game road back-to-back, it only figures that if the first game is against a team that's really good, it's just a more exerting game, and maybe there's a little bit more of an effect in fatigue for the second half of that back-to-back. But either way, just teams in general in the NBA, when they're big underdogs at home, tend to be undervalued. So that seems to certainly be the case here. And the total is really high, so I definitely like the Kings for fantasy production. Yeah, one thing that I do find a little interesting is that the Kings played at the uh, sixth slowest pace in the league last year. So the total does feel a little bit too high to me. Uh, One thing that is of a lot of significance to this game, Zach Randolph is questionable with an injury. Uh, Well, actually, not really an injury. I think he had he went to like he had like a dentist appointment or something. That's Mm -hmm. that's really shit planning on his end. Like you know when the NBA opening day is going to be months in advance. He couldn't have gone to the dentist earlier or something. He couldn't. He's the whole off season. But (laughs) either way, we talked about Randolph before. I didn't think that we'd be talking about Randolph twice in one night, but here we are. Randolph questionable with the oral surgery. If he's not able to play, then there's going to be a ton of minutes going to Scal and Willie Cauley-Stein. Uh, as is, I think that both of them are pretty usable. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, I think, is the better play, but Labissier makes some sense as a GPP play. And then I think they're both really strong plays if Zebo's out. George Hill is too cheap at 5500 I think there's value there. Uh, same Buddy Heald at 5100 I think there's some value there. And then from the Rockets side of the game, uh, I kind of want to see what the rotation looks like before I make any strong determinations on them tonight. Obviously, this is the first game with James Harden and Chris Paul playing together. So I want to get a little bit more of a look at them tonight before I have any really strong opinions on them for tomorrow's slate. Uh, do you have any other opinions on this, Matt? No, I don't have anything on this game. And if you don't have anything else, I have an update from one of the games that we previously mentioned because there's some pretty significant line movement that's changed in the last 20 minutes or so. Oh boy, breaking news, what's happening? Okay, well, this it, this probably isn't that surprising, but the line in the Celtics-Bucks game is moving a lot, and I guess it probably was frozen during the rest of the game after the injury. So the Celtics have now dropped from, they were initially six-point favorites down to five-point favorites, now they're at three-and-a-half-point favorites, and the total has been dropping too, which I think we both just strongly disagree with. I think it'll be interesting to monitor if the total bumps back up because this could be just a heavy bias against the Celtics offense with Gordon Hayward out. And from both of our perspectives, it seems like there should be more offense in this game with Hayward out, not less. So I think that's an important point. We'll have to see what the line movement looks like here because it is just kind of strange that the total has now dropped four and a half points because of the Gordon Hayward injury. And Hayward's not even worth four and a half points to the spread. It's only moved two and a half on the spread. So it's actually... He's impacting the total more than he's impacting the Celtics' chances of winning. 
So that really would only happen if he was a negative offensive player and a positive defensive player, and that's certainly not the case. So I don't, I don't really know what's going on here. Uh, this is a strange situation, and we'll just have to monitor, monitor it throughout the day on Wednesday. Yeah, if anything, I think that's just more reason to like Giannis also, with more sharp money going towards the Bucs. Uh, I mean, I, I just think Giannis is going to be the top overall play on the slate tomorrow. So yeah, I, I agree, and then we can definitely fit a lot of Celtics players with him because that's where the value spots are, and that makes for some pretty awesome game stacks, as we mentioned before. No, definitely. This game, I, I think, still makes a ton of sense to stack, and I liked Giannis a lot before, and I I guess you can't like anybody more than him being your favorite player, but I just more just He's your favorite for, player like, by, like, so much now, though. Yeah. Instead of my number one ranked player, he's my number zero ranked player, I guess. Yeah, maybe because that's the next spot you go to. Good man. So that'll wrap up today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GRNBergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense. And then we'll be doing our NFL preview podcast tomorrow night. And then the night after, we'll be back with basketball. So be on the lookout for that. And hopefully the Warriors-Rockets game ends well. <laughs>